Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. This is England is Burning for October 26, 2021. This is your Chelsea Women Weekly Feature. For this week, we are still in international break, but we're at the quarter mark of the league season. We're all past the quarter mark in the Champions League group stages, and that's important for Chelsea, obviously, and so forth. We have back Rob Prattley with the CFCW Social back again with us as our contributor. Welcome back, Rob. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, um, hope things are going very well in London. Uh, London these days, and um, it's kind of it's uh, fall, and you know, so it's getting much darker earlier, and and so forth. But oh yeah, better... you, do, you get used to it with the English climate. You have about a couple of you know nice weeks over the summer, and then suddenly we just revert back to our usual sort of you know <laughs> perpetual darkness. It's a perpetual darkness. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did find that very funny um, and so forth. So the format here is like we're going to give first quarter report card grades uh, for Chelsea so far, quarter through the season uh, and so forth. And the format's going to be is uh, I'm going to ask you, Rob, how would you grade certain aspects of the squad? Uh, we're going to start with the forward line, the wingers the midfield next and then the defense and goalkeeping, then uh, mm. the coaching and managing aspects. And the grades will be A, B, C, D, and F. A being excellent, F being failure. Uh, and then we're going to assign points uh, for each of those grades with four for A, three for B, C for two, one for D, and zero for F. But the twist is because I think coaching and managing is very, very important. It should not be weighted the same as everything else. So we're going to double the point value of the grade that you're going to give uh, Emma Hayes uh, so far. So if you're ready to go, um, yeah, I, I am. All right. So Chelsea, let's do let's recap it. Chelsea, right now. They're sitting in second in the WSL table. Um, they have four wins, one loss, goal differential of plus 12. The one loss was to Arsenal at the beginning of the season, three to two. Uh, we, you know, if you look at past episodes, you you can go into more depth review of that uh, and so forth. In the Champions League, um, if I'm correct, they've won every game so far in the group stage, right, Rob? No, they've got one win and one draw. The three. Oh, three that's draws. right. They got the draw with Wolfsburg. That's right, uh, and so forth. So they're sitting fairly well. They got an important win against Juventus recently. Um, you know, and to kind of put them in, you know, in good stead there. Uh, pretty decent group there, but they're in a good spot in from as far as the group stage is concerned, and so forth. So overall, you know. Uh, Things are looking pretty positively, but let's drill it down uh, a little bit and talk about, you know, just sort of the team in general. So, Rob, um, in terms of where where the team is at on the table, where the team's sitting at in the Champions League overall, how you how are, how are you feeling? How confident are you about how things are going? I mean, I can't give. I will say immediately, I can't give anything an A rating here because Chelsea aren't top of the league and aren't top of the Champions League. You know, aren't you know, sufficiently through in the Champions League haven't won all their games. And I think, you know, I could only give an A rating if things were perfect and things couldn't be improved on. Um, so I think overall it's probably like, you know, it's a solid start to the season. Um, I think perhaps Chelsea times have lacked some of the spectacular behaviour that they did show last season, but 
I think gradually it's also been a point of, with the formation change has been quite a bit of period of adjustment um, and also getting more out of players that perhaps, you know, were performing last year and also, you know, injuries, illness, etc. the usual sort of ter- uh, churn of change that you do have throughout a season, which other clubs at the moment haven't sort of you know, had to suffer as much from. Um, I think, you know, Chelsea started the season quite late compared to some other sides. Um and uh, sort of yeah, sort of had situations where I think that has you know not necessarily paid off for them. But at the same time, I think it might be the sort of thing later in the season it becomes more beneficial because they've had that additional rest. So it's a bit of a catch twenty two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's been a lot of and it's interesting you bring that up. There's been a lot of catch twenty two situations, uh, and we will kind of dig a little more into that. But you mentioned the formation change that going from a four three three kind of setup to a three four three setup that that Emma Hayes has used pr- predominantly, uh, mm-hmm. through, you know, throughout the season so far, and that's been quite of an adjustment. And it looks like you know there's mixed, I would say probably mixed reviews on that. But we'll get to that when we get to the uh, portion where we're talking about coaching. Uh, and so forth. But let's talk about the 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 front line, that front line triad, basically of you know Sam Kerr, Fran Kirby, uh, and Pernell Harder in general. Um, you know, with the team so far. I mean, so far Sam Kerr's you know got five goals to a credit. Fran Kirby's got three. Pernell Harder's got three goals uh, so far. I mean, it, it's just a really scary front line. Um, of course, they're not the only few folks to consider in that front line as well. Um, you know, you have people that also can also play up in the front, but those are your, the big three, uh, you know, in that front line. So what grade would you give that uh, front line so far? I think probably a B. Um, I think, again, it'd be reluctant to give it an A at the moment because I don't think it's scoring quite at the same rate as it was last season. I think the issue Chelsea have had this year is because they've been trying to really incorporate um, sort of Panilla Harder more into the match. At times, it's perhaps detracted from some of the, you know, Kerr and Kirby uh, show that we saw last season. But ultimately, I think they are now starting to get to a point where they're balancing it more and you're actually seeing all three of them being a real threat. And I've said that I think Chelsea will be at their strongest when they unlock the power of all three of them at their best. And I think they're probably maybe 70, 80 percent of the way to doing that. Um so what are you taking points off for just because the team is not as prolific in terms yeah. of scoring as they have been in the past? Yeah, not, of... not as prolific. I mean, you, I think you said it was the plus 12 sort of um, goal difference, but a lot of that is skewed by the fact they beat Manchester United quite heavily and also beat Everton um, quite heavily. Other than that, they've you know not been scoring as freely. Obviously, teams have been finding it. You know, Ultimately, you are going to get a point in that because teams are coming to the champions and want to you know take the scalp of the champions. But I think it's, you know, that's possibly me being a little harsh, but it's just, you know, at the club, perfection is the thing that everyone, you know, is the gold standard. And if it's not perfect, then you can't pretend otherwise. And I think that's a really good point. And, but I also kind of think it's a little bit harsh at the same time. But I do see where you're coming from. No, it doesn't look overall as prolific. And I think the one thing that I kind of take points away from and and you probably will not like this rob is going into the area around um just how clinical the team is no, overall. I agree completely. 
I agree with uh, that. That that's the thing that I kind of take off for is that because I look at the raw numbers. If you look at the raw numbers, you have Sam Kerr with seven goal contributions. You have Fran Kirby with eight goal contributions. Pernell Harbor has three goal contributions. You look also at the non-penalty expected goals plus expected assist per 90 minutes. Sam Kerr is at 1.67. Kirby's at 1.65. Harder's at 0.77. I mean, those are like incredible numbers in terms of those kind of like raw numbers and so forth. But here's the thing that, that I have, you know, um, I have where I get kind of stuck on because you know how I am about like converting your opportunities. Chelsea creates a ton boatload of chances, but you know, right now, like the top person on the team in terms of being able to convert expected goals and actual goals the best person on the team right now is bethany england uh yeah. with at point at 1.0 uh sam kerr is at 0.6 fran kirby 0.6 uh drew spence is 0.6 uh Wrighton is 0.4 harder is 0.1 so um and so basically they're what that basically says is is that they're basically scoring as expected in terms of their expected goals and goals are pretty much as expected as a team. They're at plus three. Now this time last year, they were at some astronomical number. And so there's the difference. Like Brian Kirby, for example, was like plus 44.7, you know, uh, and so forth. At some point it was extreme last She led the league. So it's not as prolific in terms of goal conversion. So uh, now that what that means, that may allude to though, I think Rob is that the late start in the season uh, you mentioned, you know, integrating more uh, harder into the, into the three. Um, And so there's, there's a kind of a a mentality shift there and an actual physical tactical shift there. Um, You know, so, and on the, you know, a lot of run run of games to start with. So there's, you know, there's a reason for that, but in terms of if you look at where Chelsea's offense has been versus where they are now, I think you're absolutely right. In terms of it's not at that level that I guess people would expect them to be, yeah. but it's still really, really good. <laughs> it, it's I'm, really good, but the thing is, is to be the absolute like to be the best as they would be in Europe and in England. It can't be really good. It needs to be outstanding. It needs to be perfect. Do you think though? That with time it will become outstanding. Possibly, I, I, w- I wouldn't like to predict because I don't. I think you know football's such a variable um, right. sort of experience. I'm at, you know I may say all of this and I may come back and Chelsea may play Manchester City in the cup this weekend, put them to the sword, have five chances, put all five away and win five nil, and I'll look like an idiot. Alternatively, you know they could have twenty chances, not put any of them away, and um, sort of you Manchester City will put one away and they'll lose one nil. Um, the beauty of football comes in its unpredictable nature. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, I still give though. I mean, I still give the front three a, a, an A, but I totally get the B, um, and so forth. So, let's go to the midfield. What are your thoughts so far of the midfield? So far, I think the midfield is a very important aspect. But your thoughts on them? Yeah, the midfield's been interesting um, because I think. This year, Chelsea have um, have made a 
I've tried to adjust with the midfield of playing this sort of this four in midfield, I suppose, and I'm going to include the wing max in this rating. Um, and again, as I said that before, I think that's to try and push players up the pitch to try and make more room for Penilla harder. Um, and I think that's now starting to work to a point. But I think the issue Chelsea are now encountering is they don't have the right players to play with wing backs. Um, and then that's also causing further problems because you would, you know, then teams, good teams at least, are knowing how to target those um, and knowing what they can do to, you know, target that situation. Now, will this always be the case? Possibly not. It is possible, I think, you know, certain members of the squad, like um, sort of Aaron Cuthbert, Neem Charles, can learn how to be wing-backs. I think other players that are sort of forcing into that position, the likes of um, Gura Wrighton, for instance, I don't think she's ever going to be a proper wing-back, a world-class wing-back, um, or even a top wing-back, in all honesty. So I think that's where you look at it and you perhaps say, you know, the recruitment, if there was a plan to play this 3-4-3, um, you know, should have the recruitment handled better for that position. Yeah, and I I mention a lot, and I will mention again, y'all, and as a reminder, everybody watching this, please smash a like, please also subscribe, share on your social media. If you're listening to us, please give a five-star review and also subscribe and so forth. Y'all, also, the other little tidbit here is that if you, you're new to watching football, period, you're new to watching the women's game also, period, uh, the thing to always look for is the midfield. Uh, mm. It is not a myth that if you dominate the midfield, you control the midfield, you control the game. And one of the things that I, that I feel like Chelsea hasn't done as well, again, going back to kind of like what are we measuring with in context? And if we're measuring kind of like where they were, you know, where they are now versus where they were a year ago, um, it maybe it's two different things. I don't see, though how the midfield is as dominant as maybe they could be or should be. I mean, yeah. what do you think? No, I would agree. And I think partly that comes down to playing with the four in the midfield, which in yeah. you know, in reality with the wing backs is more like a two. Um I think Chelsea looked at their best last year when they were playing that three the four three three and they had almost, you know, more of a sort of four one two three um situation or even a four two one three where they had two players sitting. Because I think the holding midfielder and the deepest midfielder often, you know, derived sort of derived and sort of you know, lambasses the water carrier is the most important player. There is a reason why so many top teams in the women's game and also in the men's game, there is always that top defence midfielder fulcrum in there. That you, the best way I can describe it, and I said this before, is that you don't notice them when they're playing. But when they're not there, you feel the effects of it. And that's what I think Chelsea have this season with Sophie Ingalls' sort of, um, issues of her fitness and also trying to balance the fact that they're trying to fit in, you know, very good attacking players with less defensive-minded players and more, more box-to-box options. It's causing a bit of detriment in that regard. Yeah, um, right. And, and... And also, you know, you mentioned the other part. Part of it is the is the is the wing the wing backs who are not used to playing wing back position. So they're mm-hmm. in that four two. So you have the essentially two midfielders, uh, and so forth. So who are the best midfielders for the squad given the current setup? Do you think in the current three four three? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, I would say the best combination would be to go with Sophie Ingle and Jesse Fleming. Mm-hmm. Because I think Ingle yeah. has the defensive now and the capability to sort of sit in that deeper role and play, you know, in that role in front of the back four. And I think Fleming 
is more box-to-box, but is more of a box-to-box player than Leopold's in the sense that Leopold's is more of an attacking box-to-box player. Fleming is very much, you know, energetic. She does put tackles in, puts the challenges in. And I think Leopold's is struggling a little bit. I think she had a very intense season last year, a lot more games than she was used to because in WSL they play more games than in Frauen Bundesliga. And I think you're perhaps seeing a bit of the effects of that this season. Yeah, truly, truly. And and in terms of like sort of the the defensive role of the, you know, of the midfield, uh, I mean, someone like G, though, is also, um, you know, also one of the top players on the team in terms of successful pressures is concerned. Uh, and if I'm right, um, and Cutbert's one of the better ones in terms of, you know, tackles and interceptions total. Um, mm-hmm. But Lupuls is also up there as well. Uh, but Engel, you know, we've talked about Sophie Engel before. Um, and she, for being a really, really key player, because because I remember going back to when we talked about the Arsenal match and and then uh, that, you know, and you were very clear in saying if Sophie Engel was, was in the lineup and the start of that, then the result would have been different. Mm. And yeah, I, I still feel that way. And I think partly the element is also Ingles' fitness has been sort of up and down this season. There's been issues with that. And I think they're now only finally starting to get her back at full fitness um, and being able to play her sort of more regularly in that role. Again, she was another player who played a lot of minutes last season. And that's something that players need to get used to um, and need to sort of uh, get sort of... Uh, get acquainted to in many ways and it's hard for some players to do that it's harder than some than others and because Ingle before hasn't really done that certainly for a couple of seasons it you know it can take time for players to adjust again but I'm confident that once Chelsea can start you know putting that midfield out on a more regular basis I would like to see it if they're going to keep playing the 3-4-3 then I would like to see a chance of Fleming and Ingle playing together because I think it could be very very fruitful. Yeah, I mean, Fleming is, uh, you know, Jesse Fleming is second on the team in shot creating actions for 90 minutes with over six. Uh, Sophie Engel second on the team with shot creating actions total, uh, you know, with uh, with 15. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, pretty I strong think one right thing, there. One thing people really forget about Sophie Engel is how good she is at, um, when the tax break down, mopping up the loose ball and passing it through the defensive line. Because a lot of people forget that that's such a big, a, a real you know, underrated asset. But something that's so, so valuable is the ability to recycle the ball and just pass it back through and keep the attack going. Because, and this is where you say the midfield is the most important thing. If you lose that initial turnover and you get counter-attack on, suddenly, even if the counter-attack breaks down, you've still got to work your way back into the box. And I think people, you know, I think that's where one of the places Chelsea have struggled a bit this season, the 3 4 3 been in transition. Um because at times they've ended up in situations where they've been completely torn apart in their transition. And that's because I think the wing-backs and centre-backs aren't right for the 3-4-3. Yeah. Um, and so this brings up the, you know, the question I've brought up before, but I mean, you may have had some more time to think about it and, and so forth. I mean, do we think, I know that Emma Hayes changed from a 3-4-3 to a 4-3-3 in, in the midst of the Juventus match. And there was a dr- pretty noticeable significant difference in the, in in the play of the team when that happened you know in term and also we have um Bielda coming potentially coming back fairly soon um do you th- i mean you with more time to think about it do you think they're going to switch back to a 433 um it, or think, is that going to continue possible. with this i think it's possible they might switch back to a 43 433 uh, 
But I think the only time it will happen is if Emma feels she can get the most out of Pamela Harder and Jesse Fleming also in that 4-3-3. And I think that's still what they need to, you know, crack that sort of that um, ultimate sort of outcome. Because once they do that, then there's no reason to not play it because more players are sort of suited for it. Mm, certainly, certainly. So, what grade would you give the would you give that that midfield at this point? Then you gave the front line a B, probably a C. Mm. Pro- probably a C, being quite harsh. Yeah. I just think it's lacking the bit because it lacks the sort of impetus that it had last year. I think it's you know not uh, we shouldn't you know just pretend and sort of rank rank them up because they're ultimately not top of the league, which shows they could be doing stuff better. Sure. Sure, and I get that. I, and I'm, I'm. This is the grade I'm, I'm, I'm really unsure about. But I think if I step back, that you know, if I, you know, measure, I'm not as measuring as much, or maybe I am. I don't know. I don't know. It, this is a hard grade for me because on one hand, I definitely see a C if I measure it in context of where they could be, where they should be, where they have been. Um, but again, I still think, you know, I still think it's above average um, at the same time. So I'm really kind of struggling with that. So and I'm not I'm not doing like the C, B minus, C plus or anything uh, either. But um, I guess I mean, I think I'll give it a C because it's just it's not as it's just not dominating. You right. I, you know, the. I, I want to see in, in a midfield a, a, a strong combination of being able to create opportunities on the offensive end, but also be solid in the back. And I just mm-hmm. you know, solid as far as defense. And I'm not seeing that consistently. I see moments. I see players that are doing well. I see players, if they're fit, if they're doing, they would probably do better. But I just don't like it's just not the rock in the midfield that that I've seen with Chelsea in the past. Yeah. So with that being said, so now we go to the defense. And so the defensive line and goalkeeping uh, probably should be two separate categories because I think we're two, talking about two different things. But um, but for the sake of time, we'll put them together. But Millie Bright, uh, Magdalena Erickson, Jessica Carter and girl Wrighton, you know, as far as minutes are concerned are playing the most minutes uh, in that defensive line. As we mentioned, it's a three, four, three, as opposed to a four, three, three. Uh, and there's been a lot of consternation about that back three. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I think the back three is the thing where I'm probably most unhappy because I think there are, there are two good defenders in that back three one solid, if not spectacular, utility player, and then two players that are being used as wing-backs that aren't wing-backs. There's also a goalkeeper who's struggling to repeat their form from last year, although I'm also not sure if that's just me being unkind in the regards are, you know, are more open chances coming towards them, and is it one of those things where did they just overperform last year? Because I got so used to seeing them, you know, making heroic saves, but I think... You know, the defence is still hurting. I think that's the only position where Chelsea really are still hurting from the Barcelona game. And I think, you know, mentally it's a block that they still are getting over. Um, I also think that they're struggling to play the 3 for 3 because they're not used to that sort of situation. And that is something that, you know, is brand new. And I also just in general think the quality of player they need to, you know, improve on, in all honesty. Yeah, um, again, it's, you know... 
in terms of the when I look at the defense, you know, I was I was talking in the show in, in regards to Arsenal. Please watch that show where, where Josh breaks down how Arsenal is doing so far um, and so forth in the grades that he gives. And I but one of the things that we um, that we talked about is is um, in terms of what the defense's role is. Yeah. And when you look at what the who, whether or not you set up in a back three, whether or not you set up in a back four whether or not you use uh you don't use wingbacks or you use them as fullbacks to make it like more of a five three two regardless whoever is in that defensive line their their job really to be honest their job really is to make sure that the goaltender uh, shorts are not dirty in the end you know that they're that you're not making the goalkeeper behind you and in this case uh captain Berger, in the back you know having to die for everything and and, and jump around and, and have, do a whole lot more work um so because you want them to clear you want them to tackle you want them to intercept you want them to clear you don't want them to be beaten on the wings and things like that and everyone knows the whole entire world knows who's watched chelsea play you know enough games knows that the weakest link is the back three. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, everyone knows it. I mean, and that's what, and that's what everyone targets. And out of a team that is excellent, uh, close to being the best in the world, but not the best in the world. Um, that's the target. That's the thing that, um, you know, that's the thing that people target. It was targeted in the Champions League. It was targeted against Arsenal. It's been targeted by nearly everybody. Uh, it's just a matter of the quality that Chelsea's playing against. Um, and they're just, I is it the, but to, my question to you, Rob, is it the system or is it the players or do you really think it's a combo? A combination of both at this moment in time, I think. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it, it's reticent to say that, there is no such thing in football apart from, you know, real crazy strings, a bad system in football. Um, you know, we, we've seen teams win with two up front, with three up front, with sometimes zero players playing as the centre forward. We've seen teams win with target men. We've seen teams win, you know, playing fluid football. You've seen teams win with the counter-attack. It's all about how you deploy it. That said, I think, you know, there's an element of decision-making where you've got to pick the right um, sort of horses for courses, and you've got to pick the right, you know, um, the the right sort of tactics for the desired outcome. As I said earlier, I think some of the players are still struggling from what happened against Barcelona, from that sort of the nature of that game. Because the the stupid thing about the game, and I said to a few people, is that Chelsea did not play badly in themselves in that match. They did not. It was not like the game against Arsenal against Barcelona, where they were just completely utterly outmatched from minute one. Chelsea played okay offensively in that final, but it was a combination of individual mistakes and errors and, you know, lucky, uh, I'm not going to say luck, but unlucky moments is the fair way to describe it, that took the game away from them. And I think when you have a situation like that, it's hard mentally to recover from it. Um, You saw it a little bit with uh, Chelsea men after the 2008 Champions League final, where they obviously lost that on penalties and then the season after they struggled and, sort of laboured um, yeah. quite a lot. Um, they did end up winning a domestic cup, but that was more sort of, you know, that they, they laboured for a while and changed managers several times because you had the issue where it took another year to sort of get out of the systems. And I don't think unless they take Chelsea and a whole year to take out the system, I still think they're capable of winning the domestic league this year um, because they're in a different situation. And ultimately, the way the league is shaping up, they will finish either first or second um, because of the 
issues at other clubs. However, I do think that it's a situation Chelsea need to assess and you know consider if they want to play this system, do they need to make changes and make some harsh decisions in regards to players coming in or out? Um, when Emma Hayes first came in, she gutted a lot of the squad and a lot of players that were popular players, players that have been there for a long time, in order to elevate them to a new level. And it is starting to wonder if it's feeling like it's getting towards that time again where perhaps a reset is needed in more positions than one and more ways than one um, in order to make that change and to step up to that new level. That brings up a lot of different questions, that I'm, I'm, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all the questions. But I firmly believe in a in a what I call the final hangover. I mean, I, 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 you in almost every sport that has a single game elimination, you know, where you go to this final, you could be the Champions League, could be, you know, uh, the Super Bowl and the NFL, where there's a final game match and the team that loses um, ends up the following season, they seem to have like a hangover effect. You know, that, you know, and it sort of depends on how, you know, how they lost, if they, you know, and so forth. But there seems, I mean, almost 100% of the time, it seems to me that there is some type of hangover effect that happens. And do you think that that's happened with Chelsea? I mean, it sounds like you're kind of alluding to it in, in what you've said. I think to a point, I think it, I think it's happened with not necessarily the club overall, but with key players in the system. Um, I think one of them is with Magdalena Eriksson because she also then went ahead and had a similar situation where she lost the um, Olympics in quite sort of harsh, hard fashion. And the thing is, is that they are the remaining sort of trophies left to go in her cabinet, the Olympics and winning honours of her country and also winning the Champions League. And it must be hard to get to that stage, especially in such a difficult year. I also alluded to it at the time that I think it was a tough final to play in because... Chelsea, in many ways, hadn't had the final experience before. And they didn't even really get it last year because of the fact there weren't any fans. It was quite a sterile atmosphere. It was quite cold. And whereas at least if you know you go one down the cup final, normally you've got the fans to cheer you on and sort of G you up mm-hmm. and spur you on. In this one, there wasn't really that. And you sort of, you know, as much as the opposition get a lift from scoring a goal, the team gets deflated. And you saw that in... Um, a lot of games under Project Restart when teams, you know, would go 1-0 down and wouldn't come back because they didn't have that added bonus. And I think that's one of the things we're starting to see a bit more this season is how much crowds really matter to teams and to players. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I totally agree um, because it's that that's being played out everywhere. I mean, everywhere in, in football that I've seen that's being played out is, you know, teams that had these magical runs of, of doing very well, let's say, on, out of way games, you know, because there were no fans there. Um, and people didn't were, you know, some people didn't want to attribute it that, you know, there, but you have to admit it, it should be an impact, right? And then now they're, you know, these the same teams are having to play, you know, these away games in front of, you know, opposing fans. It's got to have an effect all across the board. Um, so you alluded earlier, Rob, to uh, Anne Catherine Berger not being completely at the form that she was last season. How uh, Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a harsh one because last season, I think, and I said this a couple of times, I thought Anne Catherine Berger was the best in the world. And I think, you know, she still made some unbelievable 
saves the season. But I think she's just reverted back, I think, to a more, I'm not going to use the phrase human goalkeeper, but someone that, you know, performs more in the traditional sense for goalkeeper and that they are, you know, able to make mistakes. And while they are, you know, rare, the problem is, is that with the way Chelsea give up chances when they make mistakes, from a goalkeeper perspective, they almost always lead to a goal, as I've said before, whenever a keeper makes a mistake. And I think that's been brought a little bit in sharp focus. I think the back three hasn't helped because I don't think she is comfortable playing behind the back three. I think it, you know, adds another element of difficulty for a goalkeeper and for organising a defence. And you've certainly seen when Zakira Musovic has played, she's looked more comfortable playing with a back three. Well, she does have that for the country. So perhaps there's an element of being used to it in that regard. Um, now, ultimately, I'm not going to sit and pretend that AKB hasn't played well. And ultimately, I don't think it's a huge, you know, I'm not going to give a sweeping, silly result and say, oh, you know, it's F or something. Because Chelsea are still keeping, you know, clean sheets and she is still making good saves. But I think it's in the big games is when it's really going to matter this season as to whether she sort of turns up and performs because it's all well and good if there's a mistake made when you're 3-0 up in a, you know, domestic league game with five minutes left or 4-0 up and, you know, you let one squirm through your fingers, that's fine. It's when you're in the big Champions League matches where, you know, it's nil-nil and it going into, you know, the pressure moments where you need your goalkeeper really to step up and perform. Absolutely. And, and um, yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, I think that Anne Catherine Rohr is, is amazing uh, overall. And, um, but she really got that amazing tag in my book because of what you just talked about <laughs> is in those big games, in those big moments, clearly stepping up and, and just doing just magical stuff. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what happens with that in terms of statistically. Yes. You know, keeping the clean sheets and so forth. Um, and um, but one of the statistics I look at with goalkeepers is the is two statistics. One is the post shot expected goals minus goals allowed. Now um, I'd have to look back at her historically, but in terms of right now as it is, her number is negative one point zero, um, which is um, you know kind of in the middle of all the goalkeepers in the league so far. Um, and she's facing um, an XG of shot on target of 0 0.33, which is basically average um, and so forth. So, and that's, that's tantamount to the defense. I mean, you want like Arsenal, for example, the, the XG on the shots on target against Zinsberger is 0 0.29. Okay, you want something like below 0.3, closer to closer to 0.25 for a solid defense. And I don't remember what Chelsea was last year and so forth. And you want your goalkeeper to have a post-shot expected goals minus goals allowed to be plus in the plus range and preferably as high in the plus range as possible um, yeah. and so forth. So that's not where in Catherine Berger is at and that's not where this defense is at. So, um, but again, it's like this, I struggle with the grade here because I mean, like I think in Catherine Berger is great, but is she is great. If we look at it in context of comparing of her, where she could be in comparison to last season so far, you know, it may yeah. not be it's two different things right yeah no ex exactly that and, uh, you know i also with all of these grades uh, i think they're a little arbitrary because it's one of those it's so early in the season still um mm -hmm. and we have to you know remember that and it is still possible that 
in a few months' time, Chelsea will sort of have, you know, re- reclaim their spot at the top of the league or, you know, be through in the Champions League. And we'll be looking back on this and saying, well, you know, what silly analysis we were making there five or six games into the season. Yeah, However, I mean, yeah. But what, yeah. I will, what, what I will say that I think is interesting for me from a Chelsea point of view is that we're coming up with all of these problems and these things that Chelsea can improve on, yet at the same time, results aren't really being affected. Um, and it's not as if Chelsea are suddenly, you know, having a situation like Manchester City. And, of course, then you've got to put the eye on the other end, is that if Chelsea start to click in some of these things, what then happens then? Because I think if they start to click in, you know, one or two of them, suddenly they start to play a lot more dominantly. And I think that has a mental effect on them, but also on the teams around them and the teams above them as well. Because then you suddenly start to feel that they're really getting going. And I, I did say this, I think, with the late start of the season, it would take after a little while for Chelsea to start, you know, getting going. But I think they are now starting to gradually see things starting to come together and seeing players getting towards full fitness and towards their best. Um, and that can, you know, only bode well, bode well for them. So, Yeah, and, and we saw that even last season um, as well. I mean, it was, you, you know, at the end of the season, in the, at least in the league, I mean, they were just rolling people. I mean, it's just like, it was like a complete, you know, because, I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. The team that is in place right Right now, their performance right now is not going to aim, hopefully, as it is later, um, you know, for a multitude of different reasons. But, um, but you know, as it stands right now today, Chelsea is not at their best, and, and that's pretty clear. But obviously, though, the potential is there. We know what the potential is. We've seen it, uh, and there's a belief that they will get there. Um, and there's certainly opportunity in these matches ahead that they have to really, um, you know, to really shine. The grade that you give for the fencing goalkeeping so far, this is just so far. I think probably again a C. I think, you know, it's in, I'm not going to go any further than that and say, you know, it's been catastrophic because ultimately Chelsea have only, you know, despite Paul defending, have only lost one game and they lost that due to inadequate refereeing. Um, I mean, if you want to grade for refereeing for the season, I'll give it, a, you know, a Z. Um, because I think it's <laughs> not improved in any way, shape, or form, and increasingly, I think we need a whole other show about that. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> I, I genuinely, I would like to at some point get a round table together of everyone and discuss refereeing because I think you know it's important to acknowledge that if we want the game to grow, it needs to be improved. And what I don't want, and I said this last year, match of the day for me when I watched that became not match of the day. It became what refereeing decision are we going to, you know, look at today in horror? And I don't want the women's game going like that. I'm more interested in listening and seeing how the players do than critiquing the officials. And believe you me, I my happiest. I'm at my happiest after a game, not as some people might think when I'm berating the referee, but when I'm actually reflecting on the game and reflecting on the match, because ultimately that's what you know. The game is called football, not referee ball. Um, right. And I'm not right. interested in in that regard. But for going back to Chelsea's defence, I think you know if you look at it at the moment and say a C, I think you know there's obvious potential for it to probably get up to a B or even A. And I think you know as time passes, you will start to see more and more of that in a way, um, mm-hmm. and you will start to see them really kicking off. And I think if Chelsea can. 
get to, you know, let's say maybe at the moment they're paying 70% to the way they were last season. If they start to get towards, you know, 80 or 90% of where they are last season, then that, you know, makes them scary. If they can get to 100% of where they are last season, that makes them, you know, league winners. And if they can get to 110%, then that maybe is the thing they need to kick off. And I think as the season goes on and on, and perhaps, you know, we learn more about this tactics, players get used to the tactics, Emma learns more about her squad and makes adjustments because she inevitably will, then that's when you'll start to see the real, you know, Chelsea come out. Yeah, and um, and that's the scary thing for the rest of the league because this is Chelsea at 85, 75% of what they could be is still incredibly good. And then if they ever hit 100, which they might, they you know, and there's points, there's some things to suggest that they will. Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty dangerous, and it's going to, and we may have a very a classic title race at the end of this um, as it's beginning to shape up now. So quickly before we lose total track of time, let's talk about Emma Hayes. Let's talk about your grade that you would give her so far this season. Um, in looking at in in looking at the in looking at that, I look at I personally look at. It three different criteria. I look at tactically, I look at personnel management on the pitch and off, and I look at sort of the emotional intelligence angle. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about a manager who's probably the, you know, one of the best managers period in the world. Um, And so, you know, so. um, I'll start with emotional intelligence because that's easy. It's an Um, Right. uh, At the end of the day, you know, whatever you think of, Emma Hayes, and I know there's a variety of views. Ultimately, Chelsea fans are always going to stand by her. She is a legend of the game. She's a legend of the club. Um, I don't think you know any Chelsea fan would look at any decision Emma makes and question it because ultimately that's the level of respect she's earned. Um, I think it's telling that you know you're looking at other managers now in the league and they say you know they're seeing beating Emma Hayes is such a prize asset um, because it's such a big thing for you know, a feather in the cap for managers, not just beating Chelsea, but beating Emma Hayes, who is the most successful WSL sort of manager of all time. Um, I think, yeah, I think she speaks very eloquently. What I do like, the fact is that she's not stopped, um, sort of even when it's been things like that, she's been accused of pushing agendas after Chelsea's results, so like refereeing, she's not stopped criticising and sort of talking about refereeing and saying refereeing needs to improve. She's been doing that, you know, even when Chelsea were winning. The same with prize money. That's not, you know, a flash in the pan thing. She's been saying that for a while as well. Um, and I think it's people will now, you know, they wouldn't like to admit it, but rival fans will look back or will look at Emma Hayes and say, you know what, I wish we had a manager who was brave enough and the balls to come out and do that. And I think that's what a lot of managers, you know, could take a leaf out of a book in that regard, because if there is a united front, there's more potential for change. Right, exactly, exactly. And in terms of tactically and you know, the the personnel management aspect, what are your thoughts? I think personnel management is difficult. Um, I think this season has been a difficult situation coming back from sort of uh, the sort of COVID season, players being off at the Olympics, needing breaks, needing rest, injuries, illness, quarantine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think ultimately, you know, it's a case of probably a B, could do better, could do worse. Um, certainly, they're getting more out of Jesse Fleming and, Panilla Harbour, whilst not obviously harming the um, sort of influence and impact of Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr, which is only a good thing. However, at the same time, there are issues in the midfield in terms of balancing that and problems with the back three. Um, ultimately, um, you know, I trust Emma Hayes to get it right and to get the balance 
sort of there and to get the right personnel in at the right time. So, you know, it's one of those where we have to sort of wait and see, but certainly at the moment I'm not more comfortable in challenging that because ultimately, you know, I know what a good manager Emma is. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I, yeah, uh, for me, I, I have nothing... I, I, I mean, let's say I have, uh, for lack of a better better phrase, I have no complaints. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I mean, y- you know, um, I think there is there uh, the jury is out on on the tactics piece. That's the only thing that kind of the jury is out on, and how that's going to play out, play out. But I have the utmost confidence that it's going to get sorted out one way or the other, and going to be sorted out in the po- in a positive way, um, because I have pretty much faith in Emma Hayes to do it uh, as far as the, the, there's been no change in the level, her emo- level of emotional intelligence. There's been no change th- that I've seen in terms of her uh, personnel management and so forth. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't think there's been like, you know, I don't think it would be even, I don't think it's fair to look at it in context of last year versus this year either. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's fair either. So, I mean, I would still have to give her an A, um, you know, because I think, you know, I just, you know, um, I think she's just incredibly, incredibly good. And I don't care where anyone stands. I, I, I don't, I'm not even going to get into this, you know, how would she do in the men's game or whatever. I'm not even going to get into it, period. She is one of the best managers, period, in the world hands down no doubt end of story regardless of what kind of football we're talking about um so with that being said it's going to be a until until there's something significant to tell me otherwise um so so looking at the grades overall and i'm kind of speeding up for the sake of time rob but looking at the grades overall we're giving double points for the um so your overall grade for for under the coaching one is what uh, probably a B. All right. So with that, so we're, harsh, I should say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with that, then we're saying. Um, so that's thirteen total points because we're giving the coaching double points there. Um, so doing some quick math. All right, so we're basically looking at a GPA of a little bit under three. <laughs> um, so it's overall like, you know, because of that A being weighted so highly, it's like 2.8 GPA there, grade point average, uh, which is a high C overall. No, and I think that would be fair because I think Chelsea ultimately can hit a lot higher heights than they have right. at the moment. I think at the moment right. people are, you know, it's solid if not spectacular. But I think right. that's the scary thing is that like Chelsea's results on paper look like fairly decent results, and yeah. yet I'm you know not happy with it, and I can assure you Emma Hayes won't be happy with it. Right. And so right. if they can you know be like that when they're having those sort of results, then mm-hmm. God knows what it'll be like when they actually do start to click and really start to you know push on. All right, hold on. I got someone at the door, real quick. Hold on. All right, I'm back. So, 
and someone at the door real quick so i had to take care of it uh so but that um but actually i mean i think 2.8 you know out of four c high c low um low b level is right you know that's i think that's fair overall um i do think that i i do think though moving forward uh the one last thing i want to talk about is is you got uh, Manchester City coming up in the semifinal of the FA Cup carryover um, mm-hmm. from last season. Uh, given we're now, you know, a few days uh, ahead of it, what are your thoughts? You know, what are your final thoughts going into that match in terms of how things kind of set up for for Chelsea against City? I mean, God knows one of those where, you know, City inevitably will raise their game because it's Chelsea. Um, right. Just know that will happen. But I think, you know, Chelsea need to be looking at winning it. Obviously, if they win it, they're probably play Arsenal in the final. That could be a really big game for both of them in that regard because it for Arsenal it's a chance to show that you know um, August was not a full, September was not a flash in the pan for Chelsea. It's a chance to show you know that they play each other again. I think in a few weeks after that in the league mm-hmm. and potentially yep. it could be a huge you know match in that regard. From the Manchester City point of view, this could be the sort of result that really starts their season again after it's been slumped you know due to a number of poor results. So. It's one of those where I think, yeah, I wouldn't like to predict what's going to happen. It's a one-off cup game. Anything can sort of, it is the cliche that anything could happen. I just hope that, you know, it's a good game overall and that, you know, it's a spectacle befitting the competition. Yeah, I mean, I can't even come close to even predicting how this thing is going to play out. Um, and it real, a lot of it really depends on uh, where City is at in terms of who they're actually going to be able to play. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just, I mean, it. You know the lineup that they, you know the lineup that they came out with in terms of you know the, you know the match in the Conti Cup, you know, and then you know with um, with Everton, which was the, you know whoever coach manager lost that was going to win the sack race, um, you know overall, and so it ended up being Willie Kirk in the end, but it was a de- I mean it was a demolition, but on the flip side, Everton played horribly. I mean that was a horrible performance um you know by Everton overall I mean Manchester City just ran roughshod over them um and and they and Arsenal previous match ran roughshod over them um so it really is going to depend on how City is able to line up now one of the interesting things that I thought was very interesting was the combination of Ellen White and Bunny Shaw you know in the front three in that lineup. I don't know if we're going to see that again, but that was a very intriguing situation of Lauren Hemp, Ellen White, and Bonnie Shaw on in the front three. Um, there was kind of rather interesting, but again, it just all comes down to who is going to be able to play on the city side. As far as Chelsea is concerned, um, you know, I the the only question in, to me, honestly, is about what what formation is going to be used. Yeah, um, is it going to be you know are they is because one of the people folks I've heard uh, Chelsea folks that I've I've heard from have said that maybe Emma Hayes will change to a four three three in the big matches, right? In the mm-hmm. like the big matches like City or it's Arsenal against the tough you know yeah. uh, Champions League side um, and so forth. Um, and some uh, yeah. said no, she's gonna go ahead. It's interesting you say that because I've I've wondered if that might be the case because I think the game against Wolfsburg, I think that was a showing for Emma that even when you use the three four three against the big side, it lacks the control that she likes having. Um, exactly. And she alluded to it after the game that they had loads yep. of chances. You know, at the time right. they really dominated Wolfsburg, and in many ways, you know, if that had been a boxing match at times, that would have been stopped because of 
the way Chelsea had control over the game. But yes. ultimately, they ended up scrambling and ended up only scrambling a, a point from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know that's the big thing is Emil would rather control a game when it one nil than win a helter skelter game five four because although you score five goals in that regard, you also concede. Right. And so, and I think you just hit on the right word, which is control and what, and this is, that's, I think the difference between what we saw. And I, we alluded to it when we talked about the midfield, we alluded to it. We, we said that it has, is not as dominant, is not as dominant. And I guess what I really meant to say was it's not as controlling. And mm. because we, when we saw Chelsea at their best last season, we saw ultimate control controlling the game even when there was tight games they were still controlling them they were still managing them they were the team in control and it was either their performance or lack thereof that decided the result um i go back to the quarterfinal at the academy stadium uh in the quarterfinal of the conti cup you know last season which you know ended up in you know during in uh regular time in a in a even and it went into extra time where then Chelsea won. That game, though, was pretty much, in my opinion, was actually in control by Chelsea, even though, you know, it was ended up being a draw. I mean, Chelsea, City almost won in the end uh, of regular time and so forth. But I felt like Chelsea was in control. Um, and we are not seeing that control now. We didn't see it until the last few, the last 30 minutes against Juventus, we saw the element of that being in control. And that's what Emma really loves, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And that's the big thing that I think people are forgetting at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I do predict, though, I mean, uh, if I were to predict, um, I do predict a Chelsea win in the end. I'm not going to even come close to even guessing score lines or anything like that. We're not, this is going to end in regular time or extra time because I just, we just don't know what city's going to throw out there on the pitch. But I do believe in, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, Chelsea is getting into gear. Um, and, you know, I do think regardless of what city puts out there, they're still going to win. Um, it just is the question is how and by what. Um, I'm not saying that it's going to be like a blowout, but it actually could be. I mean, it just really depends on a lot of different factors, though. But I do predict the Chelsea-Arsenal final, um, you know, which I think will be another um, great uh, display and test and test a display uh, and uh, a wonderful thing for uh, neutrals to, um, you know, be watching because uh, you're talking about the two top teams right now in the league uh, in a final, but we're not there yet. We got to get through this weekend uh, first, but, um, but I'm feeling positive about Chelsea moving forward. Um, I've always said though, I'm, I, I, I've always told you, Rob, I'm not like a big time Chelsea fan. I'm not, I'm not, you know, a Chelsea fan, but I really enjoy watching this team. I've, rooted for this team um and so forth because i really like um the makeup of the team and the players and and so forth so um i'm not sure i hope i'm not showing any favoritism but they're as a neutral watching them they're absolute joy to watch and i and i hope it continues thank you rob for joining us though um today um and um we will see you at the other end of the week as we get back into league action and we have we uh go through that uh semi-final and see how it comes at the end 
Uh, but again, yeah. thank you so much, Rob. Great stuff as always um, and so forth. So uh, smash a like, subscribe, share on social media, on the on the video channel. Uh, my uh, budget for advertising is the same. Um, you know, I, it's the same as being able it basically, if I went out and bought, went to Starbucks and bought a Venti coffee, that's my advertising budget for the week. Um, that that's basically it. Um, is about four four dollars. Um, so I need y'all's help, but this thing is growing in leaps and bounds, particularly on the podcast side, because I guess no one wants to look, uh, you know, at my and my beautiful face and my receding hairline. So, but thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow uh, when we talk to Mark with uh, with. Um, Manchester United Women's Supporters Group. Uh, and on Thursday, we will talk to Kate about Manchester City. Um, so thank you so much for watching and thank you for listening. We'll see you later.